everybody, and welcome back to the Cinefessions podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Shawan, and joining me are my two co-hosts, Chris Ranson and Ash Collins. First off, I want to thank Ash and Chris for deciding to join the podcast on a regular basis. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank the listeners for tuning in. And I also want to thank Renton127 for his positive feedback on Twitter. And you can follow him on Twitter at Renton127. That's R-E-N-T-O-N-127. So today we've got uh, two reviews planned. We're going to do a review for Oblivion and The Place Beyond the Pines, which were two of the biggest releases from last week, which was August 6th. And speaking of reviews, make sure you check out Chris's new review of what he calls one of the best of 2013, Fruitvale Station. It's now live on Cinefessions.com. This week, we were actually lucky enough to get our hands on a couple digital copies of both the films that we are reviewing today. And so that's good news for you guys, the listeners, because we're going to do a giveaway. What's going to happen is I'm going to play a clip from a film, and this one in particular may or may not be a hint at a future podcast episode, so just keep that in mind. But the first person to guess the movie that the clip is from and contacts me via Twitter, email, or through a comment on the post, which is on Cinefessions.com, with the correct film will receive a digital copy of both Oblivion and The Place Beyond the Pines. Now, because the digital copies tend to only work in the United States, only listeners from the States can win. I found that out with my Cinefession Summer Screams Challenge, the girl who won all the digital downloads. She couldn't actually play any of them because she was from outside of the United States, so she ended up giving them away to her friends. So, lesson learned there. All right, so let's get on to the clip here. What are you thinking? Well, we should strike now. Well, we've got the element of surprise. Longer we wait, more time they've got to mobilize. I say we go in through the front entrance, take the place all by oil. They won't be expecting that. Very good, what he said. My, my, here come the fuzz. Maybe they're not him. Wait here. Don't go in on your own. Don't worry. He knows what he's doing. All right, so that was the clip. So again, the first person to contact me via Twitter at Simon1PSYMIN1 via email simon1 at yahoo.com, or by leaving us a comment in the post here on cinefessions.com with the correct movie title when both digital copies for download of Oblivion and The Place Beyond the Pines. So good luck to everybody on that. But with that said, let's get on to the show. Uh, who wants to jump in with uh, what you've been consuming this week? Well, besides Oblivion and Place Beyond the Pines, I have been on kind of a net- Netflix binge. I started Fringe Season 1 over again, trying to get caught up on that since I really like that show and just hadn't had a chance to watch it. It definitely works as a show watching back-to-back episodes. You get to see the bigger plot develop more, which I really liked. And Walter is even better on a second viewing for some of the episodes I've seen. And then there were two other movies uh, that my wife actually ended up picking through Netflix Max. She was looking for horror movies. And the first one was Pontypool, which is kind of like a... It's an interesting take on something like zombies, but not. Uh, it was a neat twist, neat horror film, definitely kind of off beat a bit. Uh, it was really well done. The other one is Moy, uh, Legend of a Portrait, which was a really great Korean horror film. Lots of creepy moments to it. Um, but if you're not necessarily into K horror or J horror, you may not like it. And then, uh, gaming wise, I've been playing Magrunner Dark Pulse, which was uh, something we got for review over at Tired Game Fan. Uh, it's a lot like Portal and Portal 2 with magnets instead of portals, and you're kind of working against a cult that's summoning Cthulhu monsters instead of GLaDOS, which uh, was kind of interesting, different puzzles, decent story, and kind of very Lovecraftian as you go along through it. So that was kind of my week. Netflix Max. 
how well do you think it works? It's two for three with my wife, who is very picky when it comes to what she wants to watch. Okay. Um, the uh, the the first two times she tried it uh, was how we got Pontypool and Moy. Um, and the third time she tried it, it popped into asking, do you want to watch a celebrity? And it popped up two celebrities she had absolutely no interest in. So then it kicked back over to, well, here's some, you know, here's some genre movies. Pick, you know, pick from the East type of gotcha. thing. But, uh, you know, but the first two times she basically just picked whatever movie popped up and said, yeah, why don't give it a try? And they actually were right along what she was looking for. So that's cool. I have to, I haven't set it up on my PS3 yet, but. Awesome. So, Chris, what have you been consuming this week? Well, I haven't really been watching anything. So, I finished uh, <laughs> Orange is the New Black. That it was great. Thankfully, like three days later, spoilers were flying all over my Facebook page. So, <laughs> I was glad I got it done in time. Otherwise, I finished Time and Eternity, which was a god awful Japanese RPG. Has very anime style visuals. It's very much about the pervy jokes and constantly repeating the same pervy joke over and over and over. Thankfully, it was short. So, Is that on PS3? Yeah, it's PS3. I got the limited edition from Nice America, which I, I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> did you jump into Tales of Zalia yet? No. I finished Time Eternity on Thursday, and then I had to do my movie run on Friday, and then concert last night, and then work, work, work. So I'm hoping Monday I'll start that. I did finish a book. I finished the latest Anita Blake book, which was very entertaining. And I started reading the R.L. Stein's new teen thriller, Midsummer Night's Scream, which is god-awful. Oh, really? Oh, my God. The writing, disappointing. Is, the writing is so bad. Like, I've seen fan fiction written better than this. Like, is that is that the equivalent of, like, the Fear Street series? It, it's what he's aiming for. And, okay. and with the title, you kind of get that whole, that zombies meets like Abraham Lincoln vampire or that kind of thing. But it's, mm-hmm. it has absolutely nothing to do with the Shakespeare play. It's about these two like Richie girls who one's father owns a movie production company and they're going to remake this horror film in the same mansion that three of the actors died in while filming the original. Okay. But so it sounds promising, but like right. the deaths in the beginning, like, because it tells you like what happened to the three people were just so pathetic and nonsensical that I was just like, I don't even understand <laughs> going. <laughs> like, one's climbing stairs and it's missing a step. So she falls through and smashes her head and snaps her neck. Oh, I'm like, geez. that's basically how it was described. <laughs> <laughs> so, thankfully that one seems short. I'm already like halfway through. Didn't he write like an adult novel yeah. recently? You didn't like that either, right? Yeah. He wrote Red Rain that read very poorly as well i I don't know his goosebump books i can still tolerate i can still get through Mm -hmm. i have a little bit of imagination to him but i I think he's lost his touch with the (laughs) older crowd Mm, that's not good to hear yeah i've been playing more of super mario land 3ds now i haven't played any other games my 3ds yet trying to get through mario but my sister actually came over and was playing Super Mario Land for about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And then she gave me a phone call the other day and was asking me where I bought my 3DS. So Mario has a, a lot of sway in our house. We are big Mario fans, and now she wants to pick up the system just because of Mario Land 3D. So, yeah, and I know you guys aren't sports gamers, as I mentioned in the last episode, but I am continuing my uh, NCAA Football 14 WVU Dynasty. Basically, I'm still undefeated, so if I can beat Oklahoma State in this week's game, then I pretty much have a clear ride to the BCS, which is exciting for me. I also watched a couple movies since the last show. I watched Mud and My Amityville Horror, 
both also movies that came out last Tuesday. Uh, Miami of a Horror was a documentary about Daniel Lutz, who is the young boy who, you know, lived through the Amityville house during that 28 day period that both the Amityville Horror films are based off of the original and then the remake. And of course, all the sequels. This one was an interesting documentary, but it's really more of like a showcase of mental illness and, and this mentally disturbed adult who hasn't quite shaken his childhood uh, fears and, and beliefs more so than a look at the case itself, which was a little bit disappointing. But, you know, it does offer up some really solid hypotheses on why the Lutz family believed they experienced these events, but it's not exactly groundbreaking by any stretch. I would recommend it to fans of Paranormal Studies and the Amityville Horror series who are also fans of documentaries. But if one of those doesn't interest you, then probably won't like my Amityville Horror all that much. Mud, on the other hand, I loved Mud. Uh, it's this like coming of age story set in the swamps of Arkansas. And these two boys find this guy, Mud, who's played by Matthew McConaughey. He's hiding out on this island and they take a liking to him mostly because they enjoy the stories that he tells. And then they decide that they're going to help him try to get back the love of his life that he is currently lost, Juniper, who's uh, Reese Witherspoon, who is still absolutely beautiful. She, I swear to God, she never ages. It's fascinating. But the movie is is driven by these performances of these young boys who are played by uh, Ty Sheridan and Jacob Laughlin. And they are awesome. They are really, really great young actors. I love the characters. The story is well fleshed out and it's really well executed. It's one of my favorite films I've seen of the year so far, and definitely one that everyone should check out. Have you guys seen Jeff Nichols' other films, Take Shelter or Shotgun Stories? I've seen Take Shelter. How was that one? It's interesting. I didn't love it, but it, it's interesting. Have you seen Mud? I have seen Mud. What'd you think of it? I loved Mud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't like Matthew McConaughey usually, but he really mm. gives like a really strong performance. I was Definitely. surprised that he even had that capability. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I went in with low expectations. I had heard some buzz and I loved every moment of it. It just flows perfectly. Mm -hmm. That said, Ash, you definitely need to check it out. Yeah, I'm trying to track down a copy of it. The local places have been less than <laughs> helpful. <Right. laughs> People keep renting it. <laughs> All right. So that is what we've been watching this week. Uh, again, if there's anything that we're missing out on, we need to read, we need to watch, we need to play, whatever the case is, let us know on Twitter or via comment below. The last Super Bowl was played right here. Jason, tell me it was a classic. Classic game. 80,000 people on their feet. Seconds left on the clock. So Hubie throws a Hail Mary. Touchdown! 166, back online. 60 years ago, Earth was attacked. We won the war, but they destroyed half the planet. Everyone's been evacuated. Nothing human remains. We're here for drone repair. With a mop-up crew. This is Jack Harper. I'm good to go. Two more weeks, Jack. Then we can finally leave and join the others. Don't take any chances. So let's jump into our Oblivion review. I found a plot description from Universal Pictures that I thought was, was solid, so let me go over that here. Jack Harper is one of the last few drone repairmen stationed on Earth, part of a massive operation to extract vital resources after decades of war with a terrifying threat known as the Scavs. Jack's mission, uh, Jack's played by Tom Cruise, by the way, is nearly complete. Living in and patrolling the skies from thousands of feet above, his existence is brought crashing down when he rescues a stranger from a downed spacecraft. 
This arrival triggers a chain of events that forces him to question everything he knows and puts the fate of humanity in his hands. It's a pretty decent plot description for Oblivion. So what I did, I listed pros and cons and then my final thoughts on it. Chris, go ahead and jump in with some of your thoughts. This is my actual second viewing of the film. I've watched the bootleg copy before it even released in theaters. Definitely the second viewing, I was able to appreciate the uh, visuals. It's definitely a visual film. Interesting moments. I really like the one inside the, like, it's not even an apartment, but I don't know what to call it. I guess Brown Central or something Mm -hmm. with that robot. I don't want to spoil too much, but I thought that scene was really cool. But uh, it's boring and (laughs) not in a good way. And the the twists just, they didn't do anything for me. I mean, Tom Cruise hands it up. There's this one scene where he's like, I think it was the second mission out. And it looks like he's... (laughs) It looks like really bad motion cap for a video game. The way he's just like running with his gun. I just, I don't know. He wasn't believable in the role at all. My thoughts were kind of similar in terms of uh, it was just boring and the plot twists or turns, whatever they were, didn't really didn't really do it for me. I would definitely agree with that. Oh, good. So it wasn't just me. (laughs) I, yeah, that was, I think part of the problem I had with it was it's a, it's a very, it felt like a typical Tom Cruise tentpole movie. Mm-hmm. with about an extra 20 minutes of film tacked on that didn't need to be there. But it was like, at some point it became like Prometheus in that they tried to include too much plot and they didn't flesh any of it out. And it ends up being this kind of mess that just plods along. It's visually very, very neat to look at. I really liked the visuals, but the the plot was just kind of like, okay, we're going to throw this in here and then we're going to throw this in here and then we're going to throw this. And it kind of works, but doesn't. That was my first pro, is how good the movie looks. I think, you know, we've come so far with special effects in the past few years, and this is really a showcase of it. I hate watching a movie and seeing that the CGI looks fake. I cannot stand that. It's a big pet peeve of mine. But really, nothing looked fake in this, and I thought that was great. But as good as the movie looks, it's just not very... It's a lot of style and very little substance. I would agree the first half is much too slow. It just like we said is was just boring. I ended up falling asleep on the first night I was watching it and had to had to pick it up the next day. You know, I understand the importance of setting up story, but it took much too long with it. And like like you just said, Ash, it was like 20 minutes of film tacked on that just didn't need to be there. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But that said, I thought the second half of the film really grabbed my attention and had me engaged. And I was very interested to see where the story was going to go. So I'm kind of, I'm torn because it's, you know, a tale of two halves, basically. The first half I really disliked and was, and was bored by it. But the second half I enjoyed. I liked, I liked the story that it was telling. Even though it was predictable, I still enjoyed the ride that the characters took. Yeah, I did like the ride, as you said, but it just, even, even having said that, they could have kept the action up, I think, and not thrown so much as far as like plot twists that you could see coming a mile away that it was just kind of like, oh, okay, gotten so, this is so foreshadowed that we know it's coming. Just get on with it. Right. There was one plot twist, though, at the end, which I'm not going to spoil. We decided not to do any spoilers for these two reviews, just FYI to the listeners, but there was one twist at the end that, I didn't see coming, which I don't know, maybe I was tuned out for a second. I don't know, but I didn't see it coming. And I thought that one was, you know, interesting. And that one sticks with me more than the the twists and turns before, simply because of the fact that I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it, but it kind of introduces a fairly big plot hole. It's just kind of like, what? <laughs> I, was, I was left more scratching my head going, that doesn't work, but whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of went with it. And I think, I think maybe the first half of the movie, it would have been... 
the movie would have been more acceptable maybe if they kind of tied up all those loose ends that they left open. But it, it really leaves a lot of unanswered questions and, and, you know, bad plot holes like you're talking about. And I think that's what's most disappointing about all this time they spent setting up the first half was that they didn't spend any time at the end kind of sewing it up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Another pro I had listed here. I didn't mind Tom Cruise. I thought he was, I thought he was fine in the role. I thought he was able to carry his, his portion of the film well. I wish that we had more of Morgan Freeman's character because I think Morgan Freeman's pretty much excellent in everything he's in. And I, I enjoy watching him and it would have been cool to see him more. But the two main female leads I thought were really excellent, uh, especially Andrea Riseborough. I thought she was great as, uh, you know, Tom Cruise's better half, if you will. I did think the two the two women were definitely well cast. Tom Cruise is as far as not being cast well in the movie. I think he's he's got a certain charisma that he kind of carries over in any movie he's in. So even if it, that was kind of what carried me through the first part of the movie, actually, with his kind of bizarre antics and his usual stuff, you know, it's it's basically what I've come to expect from watching him over the years. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, um, yeah, the female leads were definitely really well done, and I would have loved to see a lot more Morgan. Freeman, because especially considering he's splattered all over the movie posters, like this big part in the movie, and it's like he's just not in it. It was kind of like Anne Hathaway on Les Mis's poster. She's like right on top. She's got a big part to play in the film, but not in it that much. <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of eh. It's a shame that they kind of wasted the cast that they did get. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought I don't I didn't I didn't look up his name before we started, but it was basically the Ying to Mark Morgan Freeman's Yang, if you will, the other guy that was you know didn't trust Jack, didn't didn't know what how Jack would respond to them picking him. Basically, I thought he was great too, but his character is so non-existent that I, I really just wanted to see more. And, it, and it's just like you said, Chris, you know, just wasting wasting the talent that they had. Yeah, I, I recognized him almost instantly. I don't remember his name. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, cool. He's not in it enough. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. So overall, I just, that sense of disappointment is kind of in all of our thoughts is what I see. You know, I, I don't think Oblivion is a bad movie, but it's, it's not great by any stretch. It managed to capture my attention at the halfway point, but those twists and turns were never really unexpected. So therefore they're, you know, they never took me by surprise, which was disappointing. It's a forgettable, but enjoyable sci-fi action film. I give it two and a half stars. What about you guys? Oh, you're a little generous there, but <laughs> I, I generally am. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, it was better on the second viewing. I think that was just the quality of the... Yeah, I'm going to go with one and a half stars. It just it did nothing for me. Yeah. I think I'd go two out of four with that. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It was kind of average. It was basically... It was what I expected when I saw the trailers. It was a Tom Cruise tentpole summer action flick. And that was basically well, all it was. <laughs> Right. I, I, you know, that's, that's what I expected as well. So in that term, just not entirely, entirely disappointing. But Elysium, speaking of another sci-fi movie coming out this summer, that one, I, you know, I have high hopes for, but I've heard nothing but like mediocre things from the critics and my Twitter followers alike. So that one will be really disappointing if I don't like it. I, I liked Elysium. So. Oh, you did? I did? I missed that you saw it, I guess. Yeah, I saw it on Friday. Okay. My only fault with the film was that literally everything is shown in the trailer. Oh, that's what you were complaining about with the new Hunger Games. Oh, even well. the new poster for Hunger Games <laughs> just destroys yeah. the plot twist. <laughs> so I do my best to avoid it. Yeah, I, that bugs the crap out of me when trailers go too far. And yeah, that was 
I was thinking about this the other day, going back way back. Like if you'd never seen a trailer for Terminator 2, but had watched the first film, there's actually, it's technically a plot twist, like fairly early on in the movie. <laughs> if you'd never seen any trailers for it and went in expecting a certain Terminator film, that will just completely turn it on its head. And it was like, whoa, but it was just completely ruined from every trailer that they released for the movie. Like my, my only thought with that is, if you haven't seen the movie, or you haven't, in this case of The Hunger Games, read the source material, if you're watching the trailer, would you know that that's a plot, you know, an important plot point? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the new trailer for it. I only saw the teaser trailer. And the teaser trailer, I didn't get that sense, but I haven't read the second book yet. I've only read the synopsis, so. Okay. Anything else to say about Oblivion, or should we move on to Place Beyond the Pines? I'm done with Oblivion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Luke and the Heart Who's that guy? He's yours. You're going to tell me? He just took off. How are you going to take care of us? You want to provide for that kid? Do that using your skill set. I can't think of another line of work that I'd rather be in. I'm still his father. I can give him stuff. This is our problem, and I'm bringing it to your attention because that's what I should do. I want to do two in one day. Yeah, get up. I'm not going to let you bring it down. If you ride like lightning, you're going to crash like thunder. The Place Beyond the Pines in cinemas April 12th. In order to uh, you know try to avoid spoilers, I was able to find this synopsis here from IMDb, which I thought was great. The Place Beyond the Pines is about a motorcycle stunt rider who turns to robbing banks as a way to provide for his lover and their newborn child. A decision that puts him on a collision course with an ambitious rookie cop navigating a department ruled by a corrupt detective. I'll start off with this one. I absolutely love The Place Beyond the Pines. It blew me away in, in virtually every sense. I'm definitely in Chris's camp on this one in terms of enjoying the film. The story, it was deep, it was emotional, it was well thought out, and it was executed near flawlessly. I really enjoyed the story that it was telling. Chris, go ahead and, and jump in with your thoughts. Well, the, the original trailers give away the first like 20 minutes of the movie, and um, it didn't look good. And I know you liked Blue Valentine. I loved Blue Valentine. Yes. I wasn't a fan. I didn't, you know, it was filmed where I lived. Weren't you in the movie? No, I had to turn down my little non-speaking role because I went to Budapest when they oh, were filming. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> ironic, I know. But, um, right. yeah, so I, I, I didn't have that high of expectation for this, but I was blown away when I first saw it. It gave me that feeling of, like, American Beauty is one of my favorite movies. It just... I don't know, it captures everything I want in the movie, and it just blew me away the first time I saw it. Like, I don't even know how long ago that was, like 12, 13 years ago. This hit every key mark for me again. And from point A to point B to the finale, I was just glued. I don't even know how long the movie was <laughs> when I first saw it, but glued. I was looking at the, I was looking at the time before I started watching. It was two hours and, it's like two hours and 20 minutes. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a long one, yeah. but it, it flies by. Yeah. I was just captivated. I was interested. Perfect casting all around. Just loved it. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised how much I enjoyed Ava Mendez. 
I don't know that I've seen her in any roles recently. And I just didn't, I don't know, just didn't expect anything from her. And I thought she was just excellent. So Ash, what are, what are some of your thoughts? I know you had, a, according to your Twitter feed anyway, you had a little different take than maybe we had. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I thought it was a really, it was a well done movie, but it just didn't click with me like it did with you guys. I thought Cooper and Gosling were fantastic casts. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ava Mendes was fantastic, I thought. When it got to later on in the movie, in the third act, I just, I couldn't buy the actors playing their kids. That didn't work for me. AJ was a little stretch for me with his, I don't know what that accent was. It was like Jersey slash New York slash, I don't even know, just gangster, I guess. Uh, He got to me, he bugged me a little bit just as a character, but... What's what's the guy's name from Chronicle who played in this one? Oh, that's where I know him from. <laughs> yeah, the, the the guy from from Chronicle, Dane Dehan or Dane Dehan, however you say it. He is excellent. I I loved him in Chronicle, and I loved him in this. He plays that teenager, that teenage angst, really really well, mind you. He plays virtually the same character in this as he does in Chronicle, but. He does it so well that I don't mind. See, I thought he was the he was the better of the two the of their kids, but yeah, it just yeah, AJ really kind of bugged the crap out of me enough that it really kind of spoiled the other characters' performance. Uh, one of the things I really did like with the long shots, the long shots yes, were fantastic, yes, yes. especially in the first act. The first act of the movie, because it's like really, it's in three acts. The first act of the movie was fantastic. Great pacing, you know, back and forth between everything. The second act slowed down, but I thought that they had a great transition over from the first to the second act. And then they kind of lost me when they went from the second act to the third act, because all they do for that is they throw up a cue card. And it was just like, oh, by the way. And it was like, (laughs) it's like you had this fantastic transition from the first act to the second act. Give me that for the third. And they just, they didn't do it. And it just, that kind of, kind of soured me on the rest of it anyway. But But I um, think, yeah. Besides just that cue card, I think the director also transitions between those acts with a select shot. And it's the one that opens the movie of Ryan Gosling's character walking from his like uh, dressing room, essentially, and they follow him through the through the carnival. And it's that shot of, you know, the follow shot on the back of the main character. And then that happens again when you start the second act. You have that follow shot of Bradley Cooper's character into through the police station. And then it happens again in the third act when you have that follow shot of Dane DeHaan's character as he... Uh, is walking. I can't remember where he was walking at that point. But so I think he, the director also visually connects those, those three moments and, and separates those three moments. Well, like this is who you're going to be following now. This is who you're going to be following now. And now this is who you're following. And I thought that was really cool. Cooper's part in the, so the second act really focuses on Cooper. And I thought Cooper did really well in this one. When doesn't actually, he do really well? I love uh, him. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like was the, uh, it, it felt rushed. The second act felt really rushed. The first act and the third act had just the right kind of pacing. But the second act, there wasn't... Like, I would have loved to see more with Ray Liotta's character and maybe that interaction. It just, It's just like, I don't know. It, it didn't feel to me like that part was as fleshed out as it could have been. I mean, it works for what it is, but it just... I would have liked to have seen a little more there. I would agree with you in that sense that once that 15 years later popped onto the screen, I was like, what? You know, I wanted to see more. I wasn't done with that part of the movie yet. Other than it, that, though, I thought it was well shot, and there was decent pacing throughout, and great acting for the most part. And I, I don't know. It was my feelings under kind of lukewarm. I didn't think it was a bad film, but I didn't think it was like an amazing film either. I mean, beautiful to look at, and the acting was great. It just didn't gel with me. 
Did you see Blue Valentine, Ash? No, I didn't. Chris, would you agree with me then that even though this is only his second film, he has Derek Cienfrance has a very particular style. I thought that there was, you know, be it full scenes, moments, or just a particular shot in general that looked like they came straight out of Blue Valentine. And I love that he has this style that he's developed and, and developing in his feature films and that he has his own unique vision with it. He seems like a very passionate director. Even when I met him for the auditioning part, like he's just all about these characters. And and both movies are just very character-driven movies. Mm-hmm. But even though I don't like Blue Valentine, <laughs> and it's not even it's a bad movie. I just, I didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. But he just, I don't know, he's someone to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. I would agree with that. I, I did like his style. It just, it, it, for whatever reason, these particular characters or the situation, I don't know what it was just didn't gel with me. I actually would like, I'm probably going to go out and find the Valentine and watch that because I did like his style. Yeah. I think, I think I like it. You know, when I watched it, I fell in love with it, but Chris doesn't agree, but that's okay. It's also not my kind of film either. Blue Valentine wasn't. So, yeah. So final thoughts, Ash, what are your final thoughts on place beyond the pines? Uh, better than oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd actually give this one two and a half to a three out of four. Yeah. Even though it didn't gel with me, I didn't think it was a bad film at all. I think it was it was a really well done film. Just it, it didn't resonate with me. And what about you, Chris? I still love it. It's still my top film of the year. If you read the review of Fruitville Station, it's very similar kind of feelings, I guess. I have I think I have my top five for the year, and it's going to be hard to dethrone Place Beyond the Pines. Is it a four-star film? It's definitely a four-star film. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you. I gave this one four stars. I know I hand out my star ratings, you know, on a whim, but I don't know. That's just how I, that's how I go. And so I definitely give Place Beyond the Pines four stars as well. Really loved it. And I thank Chris for pointing that out to me because I w- wouldn't, I'd forgotten about the film. I don't even think I would have watched it had you not pointed it out. So thank you for that. Yeah, pretty obvious on Twitter that everyone had to go see. And <laughs> <laughs> the story's all over you. In the morning, I'll call you. So now let's jump into our Once Upon a Random Q segment of the show. I guess I'll start off this week. Uh, Ash, you gave me number 77 on my instant cue, and it was 2010's Dream Home. Uh, this is a movie that I've been, I added to my queue a very long time ago and one that I've been wanting to see. So I was happy that Ash picked this number for me. Dream Home is about this woman who is, has this childhood fantasy of moving into a flat that has an ocean view in Hong Kong. And she is, the word obsessed is not a strong enough to word, strong enough a word for her desire to move into this flat. She is beyond obsessed with purchasing this home. Um, and she's willing to do anything to do it, to get it. The, the movie is incredibly gory. Um, it's really odd because it starts off, there's this, this text scroll about the housing market in Hong Kong and how much houses cost and, uh, flats cost. And then, you know, so you, you, you're kind of like, what? Why are we talking about housing costs in Hong Kong? And then seconds later, it jumps into this first killing and it is incredibly brutal and it's long too. That's what killed me about, about the murders was that, the director would stay on the shot an uncomfortable amount of time. 
there was there's one kill in particular where I was thinking to myself, how in the hell is this actor holding their breath that long? Like what what film technique, what trick are they using to make this scene work? Because I don't maybe the you know the standards are different in filming in Japan as opposed to filming in the United States, but I can't imagine a you know any union that would allow you know any screen actors go that will allow their actors to be in that position for as long as this actress was. It was uncomfortable for me to watch because I was like, holy shit, she's she's like gonna die. What's going on here? And so that's always fun when you have something crazy like that as as a horror fan and as a gore hound who enjoys that kind of kind of stuff. But the gore is great, but other than that, it's kind of a weak movie in terms of the story. The story is really frail. It's just there to build to these moments of death and murder and mayhem. But like it's just kind of, of, not kind of, it's incredibly silly, the story that is being told. You know, I don't want to give anything away because, you know, somebody might be interested in watching it. And if you are a gore hound, you'll definitely want to check this one out. There are some awesome, awesome kills and, and very creative and unique kills, which I thought were a lot of fun. But if you're looking for substance, if you're looking for a good story, then you're definitely going to want to look elsewhere. I gave this one two and a half stars. I thought it was above average. Have you either of you guys seen Dream Home? Chris, you may have. I don't know. I haven't ever heard of it, but I'm going to add it to my queue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll like it. I am pretty sure you'll enjoy it. So, yeah, so that, that was my random queue pick for this week. You know, I thought it was it was fun, and that's that's what I asked for in my crazy gory movies, so. I picked for Chris this week, I believe. Yeah, I add weird stuff to my queue. Someone on Facebook mentioned this movie, so they said it was entertaining. I was like, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll take your word. So I added it, and it's called uh, Meet the Folkens. It's a Dutch film. <laughs> it's a documentary. What? what? <laughs> That's awesome. I just like the title. It's about these two Dutch sisters who have been prostitutes in Amsterdam for 50 years, and it follows their you know, their story of how and why and what it's like to be a prostitute in Amsterdam. And then the current like change and being old and still trying to prostitute yourself out. I couldn't stop watching. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had to focus the subtitles on the Netflix. I was interested. I was buying it. Thankfully, you don't ever see them completely naked. I think one of them has like a see-through top on at one point, and that's about it. So you're not forced to see like granny porn. (laughs) Um, You do see some naked old men getting like other things. But I, I, I I was interested the whole like, I think it's an hour and 20 minutes. It's in Dutch. Um, I want to go visit Amsterdam now. looks pretty. Everybody. I've been to Amsterdam. It is. It's really cool there. Uh, see. Did you partake in the legal prostitution? No, I sure didn't. I was there. <laughs> it was on a cruise. And so I was only there a day with my family. So. But uh, yeah, no, I was completely entertained by it. Now, is this the movie with like these two larger women in it with pink and they're holding dogs? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I have that in my instant queue too. I just didn't remember the title. Oh my God. That popped up on my documentary list. And I was like, are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> You should add it. Speaking of subtitles, Dream Home subtitles, like, I don't know who did the translation, but I really hope that whoever did the translation just did a really bad subtitle job because they were, it was terrible script writing, if not. I actually, I had that with Moy, the the movie I was talking about before. It was, some of them were okay and some of them were like, what? (laughs) But it was like, but uh, it was uh, between Korean and Vietnamese throughout the movie. So maybe that was part of it, but I don't know. Right. So what did you watch this week, Ash? My pick was 1931's 
Dracula. Fantastic. That's awesome. I've only actually ever seen it once before when my wife uh, got the Van, I got her the Van Helsing collector's edition for Christmas one year. And it's actually on that, but I haven't, I've only watched it the one time when we had it. So I kind of throw it on my queue just for ease of access. But uh, I think it's an interesting interpretation. It's based more off the play than the book, which Mm -hmm. makes it even more interesting. But then, of course, they rip off Nosferatu for a couple of scenes, which was the illegal adaptation of the book. Um, (laughs) I actually think I still prefer the one with Gary Oldman, Bram Stoker's Dracula, that was uh, Francis Ford Coppola, I think. I I think I prefer that version of the movie, or, you know, the the story, just because it it was a little more interesting and involved. I know this one had some decent acting in it, especially for the time, and given that the guy who directed it mainly had done silent films up until that point. I actually, I liked Dracula. He did a great job with it, but I actually think Renfield uh, is actually creepier than Dracula. Having watched it again, it's like I, I I got more of a creep factor off of Renfield so bad, especially when they they focus on Renfield and he's doing this smiley, creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> get him out of the shot. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it was uh, it's an interesting take. I definitely, if you you know, if you like Dracula stuff, it definitely it'd take a look because it's neat to go back and you know kind of see where we started and where we're at now. But I I give it a probably two and a half out of four. I know it was it's decent and I enjoyed it, but it's not something that I will pop up and watch uh, very often. I I enjoyed the 1931 Dracula, but like out of the original Universal monster films, the Wolfman is still my favorite. Absolutely love it. And the Wolfman and then Bride of Frankenstein comes in at a close second. I actually haven't seen the original Wolfman at all. I did see the remake oh, the one that they did ugh. recently. I, I'm actually not a fan of the, the wolf person changes anyway. I prefer my werewolves to go full wolf. So actually my, my preferred is like American Werewolf in London. Howling is kind of close uh, <laughs> as far as being next favorite, but even then they're kind of the man-wolf thing. I don't know. The, the Wolfman... I, I need to see that one, and I need to see the original Bride. I actually have the 80s remake they did with Sting <laughs> on my... Oh, wow. Yeah. That one's actually really good. Like, Clancy Brown plays the monster in that, and the, he is fantastic in that movie. But, yeah, That's I awesome. Haven't, uh, I haven't seen the original yet. I actually just recently watched American Werewolf in Paris, and I thought that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I just bought The Howling, though, because it came out on uh, uh, Shout Factory, and so I just bought that, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm excited to see it. But the Wolfman, you have to see the Wolfman because Lon Chaney, who plays the Wolfman in it, it's just one of the best roles I've seen, especially from that era. He is so awesome. And he, he's very reminiscent of like Peter Lorre in M, which is, you know, just another fantastic movie from the 1930s. But y- you definitely should check out Wolfman. I think it's fantastic. I'll have to add it. Definitely. Yeah, I think it is on there. I think they all are. Great. So, Chris, how many stars did you give your movie? Um, I didn't hear. Yeah, I completely forgot to. Episode three. I was entertained, and that's all I can ask for from a documentary. I was. It wasn't something I would normally be interested in, but I was. I was on board right when it started. <laughs> cool. Perfect. All right. So I got a little wrench to throw at at you guys here. So before we sign off for today, um, I just I want to extend a challenge out here to my two co-hosts. I was searching on Letterboxd the other day and I came across this uh, list that was entitled Films I'm Embarrassed to Admit That I Haven't Watched or or something along those lines. It got me thinking about my tagline for Cinefession, The Confessions of a Cinephile. And that's where the name Cinefessions came from and everything. And my goal was that I use this website as a way to, you know, admit my cinematic blind spots and then try to correct them 
or at least make them fewer and further between. And I've, I've definitely done that so far, so, so far so good. But in the spirit of that, I kind of want to take it to another, another level. What would be cool, I think, for the next podcast, I thought it'd be fun to create a list of 12 films that you guys haven't seen yet that you really feel like you should. You know, they can be something you're like that list was you're embarrassed to admit you haven't watched or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just films that you think that you need to see that you haven't. You know, we all have hundreds of them. I'm asking for 12. And next time we do the show, we'll just talk about those movies that we haven't seen yet real quick, just to have that list publicized essentially. And then just as we continue on in our podcasting and we continue on in our writing, trying to cross those off our list, there's no trying to watch these in a week, trying to watch these in a year, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just as we continue on writing for Cinefessions and, and podcasting and just talking as friends online, just that we know that these are 12 films that we want to uh, uh, check off our list as movies that we've seen. Does that, does that sound like something you guys are interested in or, or absolutely not? Yeah, um, I'd actually have to come up with a list. I can only think of like two off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd have to come up with a list too. <laughs> but yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to, I could just run down my like entire Criterion collection collection and be like, yep, there's 12, but cool. Awesome. So uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me again. I hope you had fun this time. Like you did last time. I know I sure did. It was a blast. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And thank everyone for listening. Uh, Chris, where, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Wolverine factor. Um, it's set to private, but just send a follow request and I'll add whoever. Great. And Ash, where else can we find you? On diehardgamefan.com. I post my reviews for games there and on Twitter at D H G F A S H E. That's diehard game fan Ash. I'm on Twitter there. Fantastic. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Simon1. That's P-S-Y-M-I-N-1. You can email me at Simon1 at Yahoo.com. Or you can leave a review here on Cinefessions.com. You can leave a comment, rather. Or you can leave a review on iTunes. We are on iTunes. And we are on Stitcher. I actually just got this show added to Stitcher for our first show last week, which is a great service, especially if you don't have an iPhone. It's a lot more uh, difficult to try to find the podcast. But what I use is Stitcher, and I actually found that uh, thanks to the Geek Couch podcast, which is one I mentioned on the on the little solo show I did the other day. And definitely, definitely check out Stitcher Radio if you haven't. You can download that app right on your smartphone, Android, iPhone, doesn't matter. And also remember that you have the chance to win a digital copy of Oblivion and Place Beyond the Pines. Just send me a Twitter mention or post a comment below on the Cinefessions.com website or an email. Email works too, simon1 at yahoo.com. And the first person to send me the correct film that that clip is from will win both those digital copies. And again, it's only open to listeners in the United States because it won't work outside of the States. All right. So thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you next time. (laughs) 